everyone and welcome to my podcast. Uh, this is episode number nine, I believe. And I just want to say thank you so far to you know everyone who has uh, listened so far or tuned in or whatever you call it. I, I really wasn't expecting a lot in uh, recording this, but already I can see that there's a lot of value, not just for me, in particular, who, you know, gets the cathartic benefit of kind of talking about my story and my journey, but, um, you know, people are, are listening and for whatever reason, people want to know more about, you know, transitioning and they want to know what it's like, I guess, or um, how someone goes through that. And um, for that, I, I am grateful and I don't want to be one of those like overly grateful people to an unknown audience, um, but here I am saying thank you anyway. Um, I'm not sure if anyone can actually tell, but I did manage to upgrade my, I guess, recording setup. Um, I'm actually using a real microphone now instead of my computer, which is what I was using before. Um, and I've had a lot of fun just like completely off the record playing around with the microphone and um, doing different voices and different accents just for the sake of it. And it has been a lot of fun just to hear the sound of my voice um, through a microphone in, in different ways. And yeah, I think in making this podcast and feeling comfortable in in, in talking more and more, um, I'm starting to loosen up a bit and feel a lot more relaxed in, I guess, the expression of myself. Um, and that's been really cool just to see the, you know, the growth and the development of that just as a byproduct of, of talking to you guys and um, sharing my story with you. So there are a number of flow on effects um, and benefits that I'm already starting to receive in, in recording this, which is, is very cool. And, um, you know, early stages, not sure where it could go. Um, it could turn into a book one day. It could turn into an interview show uh, once I get my story out there. Or I could just keep sort of making episodes about myself and, um, you know, keep it very personal, I guess. And uh, only time will uh, tell where, where it goes. Um, but if anyone does have any feedback in the direction that they could see this going because – you know, I only have a couple of more episodes that I can talk about my my life up until this very point. Um, you know, please let me know in you know via email or comments or whatever. Um, and one more thing that happened a couple of days ago or, or yesterday, <clears throat> excuse me, was that I got approved for Apple Podcasts, which was kind of cool and surprisingly easy. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, it took a week or so of, of them going through their process, I guess. But um, yeah, to be on Apple Podcasts, which means that anyone can listen to me pretty much, that's, that's kind of cool. And, um, you know, I'm pretty proud of that little achievement. So if you do listen on Apple, please leave a review or a comment or a rating or whatever, because Apparently that helps me and helps me be discovered by more people. Um, and, you know, that would be kind of cool. So I guess I want to, you know, jump straight in now and 
talk about, you know, where I left the story yesterday and, well, in the previous episode, which was recorded yesterday, actually. Um, and that was my first uh, sexual experience with a man, um, you know, as a trans woman and, um, you know, what that kind of did for me and how that kind of changed things for me in terms of the direction I wanted my transition to go and the speed in particular of, of um, how how I wanted it to move forward. Um, and today I kind of want to just continue going from there but talk really in particular about the the process that I went through to both organize my gender reassignment surgery but also, you know, what that meant for me and, um, you know, yeah, basically that side of my transition, which for me was certainly a big part of it. Um, you know, I'm not saying that every uh, person of trans experience needs to go through surgeries. That's certainly not um, what I'm saying here at all. But for me, it was, you know, monumental and it really did, um, you know, change a lot of things for me in my life and made me feel complete and whole in a way that I guess I always wanted. And, um, yeah. So for me, I guess, um, when I started transitioning, I kind of knew that I would probably have surgery one day down the line, but I really didn't think that it was possible, you know, one financially, um, you know, things weren't super amazing for me at the time money wise and, you know, they weren't super amazing money wise for my family, for my mum, who obviously, you know, is my number one support. Um, she and my father were going through their divorce and it was getting ugly and had been going on for, you know, four years. And, um, you know, there was a chance that finances might be tough for, you know, a little while. So I really wasn't sure how I was going to to pay for it, essentially. Um, but a colleague of mine at uh, the Pilates Centre that I was working at, I was one day talking with her on, you know, at lunchtime about, uh, I guess, my desires to do modelling and, um, you know, how my transition was going and all these kinds of things. And she mentioned the name Carlotta to me. And for those of you who know or you know are Australian at least you may know who who that person is but um Carlotta was essentially one of the most um inf is one of the most infamous um trans women uh of Australia and you know she was a performer back in the 60s 70s and 80s and um you know became a very well known uh transgender person essentially and this colleague of mine at work, she actually used to work with Carlotta's mum, from what I understand, at least that was the side of the story that she was telling me. Um, and this was back in a, another lifetime, essentially for her, but um, she was telling me about who this person was and had I heard of her and I was like, no, never heard of her. And she said, well, she's got a documentary on Netflix and I didn't think anything of it at the time. I didn't, you know, write it even down or anything like that. But probably about a week or two weeks later, I was at home by myself and it was a Saturday night and my housemate wasn't there. And for the first time I had completely, you know, time to myself. 
And I remember just scrolling through Netflix one night and seeing um, this film that my colleague had mentioned. And, you know, I started watching it. And it really did change a lot of things for me because there was, you know, a number of scenes that just hit home to me like nothing else I'd ever seen on TV um, or in a movie because here was this person who was sharing a similar experience to me and, you know, was going through the same kind of feelings and discomfort in life before transitioning and, you know, to see her joy and, um, I guess, sense of fulfilment uh, once, you know, her process had begun, once she had made those those first steps. And, you know, if anyone does know the story of, of Carlotta, um, you know, it was a tough, tough road for her, um, you know, a lot tougher than mine for a number of reasons, but, you know, really mostly because of the time that she had to go through uh, to do it in, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s of Australia was not 2019 Australia in terms of openness to diversity and um, people, you know, being who they really are essentially. So there was one particular scene for me that just changed a lot of things and it was, um, you know, she had just had her reassignment surgery and she was, you know, having essentially sex with a, a man for the first time. And there was just something about how that scene was captured. And, you know, it was, wasn't long, but it just brought me to tears so dramatically um, at one o'clock in the morning by myself. And it was kind of the starting point and probably one of the biggest catalysts for me in coming to terms with the realization that I need this surgery so badly because I want to feel what she's feeling or what that actor who's playing her is portraying that she's feeling in that moment. And I need this sooner rather than later. So being myself and being very inquisitive and, you know, hungry for constant growth and I guess evolution of myself I started to contact a few people in different Facebook groups um, you know who may or may not know the process in going about having surgery and I basically just put up a request one day a question in one of the groups asking if you know people could recommend um, surgeons in Australia or even overseas or how it all worked basically and after a couple of days of reading the answers, it, it became clear that the the pool of um, surgeons in Australia was quite limited who could perform, um, you know, genital reassignment surgery, gender reassignment surgery, gender confirming surgery, whatever name you want to call it. It's the same thing. Um, and I just started doing my research on the names that they had given and came across one person who... I kind of felt a bit more of a connection with and I felt a connection with because he himself went to like a rival school of mine, um, which was funny when I, you know, looked on his LinkedIn and I found that he went to, um, you know, a similar school to me and was a bit younger than the rest of the surgeons. And, you know, I 
played his school in rugby and cricket and things like that. So that was that was quite funny and, um, you know, definitely stood out to me. So within probably two weeks of seeing that first, um, you know, seeing Carlotta for the first time and seeing that scene and sort of making that decision, I found myself booking an appointment to to meet with him. And he was based in Canberra. And the receptionist said that I could have an appointment in, you know, two weeks' time, which in hindsight was so quick and so rapid, but uh, waiting for those two weeks seemed like an eternity. Um, Like all things in transitioning, it is just a process of waiting for very small things to happen that just compound and eventually become monumentally life-changing. But, you know, I had to go through that process of waiting two weeks and I went down to um, visit my mum who was still living in the Southern Highlands at this stage. Um, so, you know, halfway between Sydney and Canberra. Um, stayed with her and, you know, she came to me with to the appointment. And so we drove down on the Friday morning and went to the appointment and I was just amazed at how easy I guess it was to, you know, just talk with this this surgeon about, you know, what I wanted and to talk about my own sort of story, my own journey, and for him to say at the end of it, go, to say, okay, well, you qualify for this definitely. Um, you know, the next step would be to get a, a psychiatric check and, you know, approval from them as well as approval from your GP again, um, and we can – have the surgery once you've gone through a full year of hormones and why don't we pencil you in for that date so within about two weeks or three weeks I went from not really believing that I could have surgery to having a date penciled in a calendar when I was actually going to go through it and I guess in hindsight, I, it's um, it sounds a bit ridiculous how quickly that all happened. But, you know, remember for me, it was 26 years by this point in, in waiting. It wasn't something that I had just thought about overnight. It, it might have, you know, sort of played out that way that it happened very quickly. But it was something that I had been emotionally processing the idea of for 26 years and all of a sudden I had an actual date of when this was going to happen. Now I didn't actually know how I was going to financially pay for it. I wasn't sure what the health insurance regulations were or what the policies would be or how any of that played out. So basically I began my research You know, on the way home um, in the car, mum said, look, you know, I know how important this is to you and, you know, know that whatever happens that we'll be able to, you know, afford it basically, which was a huge, huge relief, Um, of course. But given where we were financially at that time, I didn't, in all honesty, believe her that it was possible that she would be able to pay for it. That I didn't want to have to rely on her to wait for the divorce to be over or, you know, wait for her to sell her own assets or whatever. I didn't, I didn't want to 
rely on her in that way. Um, I wanted to find a way to do it myself. And, you know, I came up with a lot of dumb ideas in how to do it, including very stupid jobs, um, which I won't go into too much detail about other than that I wasn't proud of those ideas. Um, But my research eventually led me to discovering that I could use my superannuation um, to pay for life-threatening, well, life-saving surgeries, essentially. And I think it's called, from memory, um, early release of superannuation based on compassionate grounds. And I was very fortunate that um, my father had put a lot of superannuation away for me in the early, you know, my early sort of adult years when he and I were still on talking terms. Um, I can't quite justify his reasoning for doing it other than maybe a tax benefit. Um, But, you know, I, I had amazingly the exact amount that I needed in order to pay for, um, you know, pay the surgeon, basically. And I went through the whole process of talking to my super fund and talking to my bank and talking to the the tax office about how I would go about um, getting the early access to my super. Um, It involved me talking to my psychiatrist again and my GP and getting them to fill out forms and then, you know, waiting a month to go through that whole process. But within maybe two months, I think it was, or yeah, only probably six weeks, I had gone from having no idea how I was going to pay for this thing, you know, the 15 grand that I needed to pay him plus another 5,000 for the anaesthetist. I went from having no idea how I was going doing to do it. I went from having no idea of how I was going to do it to having $21,000 basically, which was all of my superannuation, um, you know, the money that I was meant to be saving for retirement um, in my account. And as quickly as it came in, as qu- it was as quick as it went out because it went straight to my surgeon and straight to, you know, the people who were going to make this happen for me. And I couldn't believe how, I guess in hindsight, how easy it was. And all of a sudden, you know, like I said, I went within probably two months of thereabouts of going, you know, I think I might want this too. I'm having this. I've booked it and I've paid for it basically. And that's sort of what I believed, you know, would happen. And I thought it was paid for basically. But it wasn't until a, another colleague of mine at, uh, at work, um, you know, because everyone at work was very open to talking to me about things and they were very supportive of me or everyone else was a Pilates instructor or a physio and, you know, I was the only one that wasn't and I was just the receptionist and business person basically. Um, and they knew that I was working towards modelling and doing my transition and everything like that. So I was certainly the anomaly at work. Um, And they were all cis females as well. So I was definitely the anomaly. Um, But one day she mentioned, well, have you looked into how much the hospital fees will be? 
and I kind of didn't think about how much hospital fees cost or what they could be. Um, you know, it's not something that I've ever really done is go to hospital on my own with my own money, I guess. Um, and I was kind of a bit shocked and spooked by that because I've just spent all of the money that I have completely. You know, now I have nothing left in my name other than my um, fortnightly salary that I got from the Pilates Center, which, you know, just covered my living expenses um, and that was it. Um, to, you know, her saying basically, well, you know, I would check with the hospital about how much it might cost you because you're going to be there for, you know, two weeks basically, 10 days to two weeks. Um, so I contacted the hospital where I was going to have the surgery um, and I got an estimate of how much it would cost me. And the estimate hospital estimated hospital fees were $10,000, you know, basically $1,000 a night. And I started freaking out. And, you know, by this point, it's probably January or February. Um, you know, surgery is five months away. And I start freaking out quite badly because I've already paid for it, basically. And I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I already had health insurance at this point, but I didn't have hospital cover. I was using my health insurance uh, mainly to pay for dental work because. I need, I, you know, I really wanted to improve the health and quality of my teeth, um, but I didn't have hospital cover. So I think it was maybe February, February, thereabouts, when I started to really panic about how I was going to make all this work. And one day I, you know, was speaking to my health insurance provider and they said, I'm sorry, we, we can't cover that. And even if you did switch to the hospital cover um, coverage, you know, you would have to wait a year be before it was even, you know, done, before you could actually, you know, serve the waiting period to have that major surgery. Um, and I'm sorry, we don't actually, you know, classify uh, gender transitioning surgeries as, uh, you know, life-threatening or whatever. So that wasn't good. And I remember quite vividly one afternoon in February being very scared and eventually just calling up my surgeon's office and saying, look, I need to cancel and I need my money back because, you know, I'm not going to be able to get this covered by my health insurance, at least the hospital fees, and I don't know what else to do. And, you know, the receptionist was very sympathetic with me and totally understood, um, you know, where I was coming from and felt very, you know, sorry for me and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we left the conversation with, okay, you know, we, that's what we'll do. We'll cancel the appointment and we'll, we'll go from there. And when you're ready, you can come back basically. Well, within about half an hour of that conversation with her, I received an email back from her saying, look, I've just spoken with the surgeon and he's, you know, very sorry for, for what's happening, but he suggested that you contact 
this partic- particular health insurance provider because he knows that they will cover it um, as psychiatric, which means that, you know, if you have, if you need surgery because it's, you know, in relation to a life-threatening psychiatric illness, um, which, you know, at the time, gender dysphoria or gender incongruence or whatever it's called now, uh, was classified as. Um, If that's the case, then the waiting period is only two months, not 12 months. So that was the tiniest amount of shining light that I needed to keep moving forward. So I quickly contacted the health insurance provider that he mentioned in his email to me. And sure enough, they said that, yes, they could cover it. And that was that was basically it. At least I thought it was. So for the next couple of months, I am waiting in anticipation for my surgery believing that it's all going to go ahead and believing that my health insurance provider is covering it. Then about, I don't know, a month or a few weeks out from surgery, I get a email from them saying that their policy has changed and they're terribly sorry, but they're no longer going to be able to cover it, which obviously freaked me out. I then spoke to someone specifically and they said, oh, no, 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 sorry. Um, you know, we didn't mean in relation to what your surgery, you know, that's all, that's all taken care of. Yes, that will be all covered for, blah, blah, blah. And basically just this back and forth of being told, no, it's not covered. Then the next day, yes, it's covered. And that literally went until the day before I was due to fly to Canberra. So, you know, this is now May of 2019, so a few months ago for me. And the scariest moment was when I was about to leave. So I think it was Monday afternoon and I was due to fly to Cabra on Tuesday morning. And I received a phone call from the hospital saying that they've contacted my health insurer And unfortunately, I'm not covered for this procedure anymore. And this was, you know, 24 hours or 36 hours away from um, actually going through with it. And I started freaking out and I started panicking and yelling and screaming and banging pillows and just crying essentially because I couldn't believe that after all of the back and forth with these health insurance providers and them saying yes it's covered and no it's not covered to be on the day of you know before I have to leave being told that no it's not covered again and I don't know what it was I don't know why this kept happening to me I don't know where in you know where in the health insurance uh, providers, I don't know, you know, why the employees kept calling me up at different times to say that it wasn't covered and then another employee would call up and say that it was covered, but they put me through absolute hell and agony and just total anxiety basically because there was no other way that I was going to be able to pay those hospital fees. 
Um, and it wasn't until the day of uh, flying to Canberra, so now Tuesday morning, and I get another phone call from the hospital saying, yes, it is covered. And, you know, that's where it was left. But I don't really know why I spoke so much about the health insurance providers in this episode. Um, I can't imagine for, you know, a person who's not transitioning it to be very interesting, but, you know, I, I don't want to mention the names of those providers at the moment because my experience could be out of date by now. Um, I guess all I can say is make sure that if you are wanting to have any kind of gender-related surgeries, get your health insurance in order, get it in check, um, make sure that it's in writing from them that you are covered and always use that as your proof and I guess legal basis that you are moving forward based you are moving forward with the your surgeries based on that information that you are covered. Um, and I think it's something that definitely does need to become clearer and more, you know, just more evident and more obvious and, yeah, essentially just clearer to the public that, you know, gender transitioning related surgeries are covered or they're not covered. Like they should be, and I guess I'm an advocate for that. Um, I don't have an opinion exactly on what the hoops should be in order to to be granted that coverage, but you know, I guess to anyone who has that kind of power who would ever listen to this, just know that it is a life 